right. It looks like we're live. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us. Tonight um, is the, the, a bonus edition of our Backcountry Show and Tell series. And we're gonna be spending tonight talking about backcountry etiquette here in Vermont. And we're gonna spend the first part of the discussion today talking a little bit about some of the COVID protocols that have been put in place this season to kind of help keep everybody safe. Um, before we get going, I do wanna make a little plug for the Catamount Trail Association and uh, our chapters. If you didn't know, the Catamount Trail Association is a nonprofit here in Vermont focused on backcountry skiing. Uh, we manage the Catamount Trail, which is a 300 mile long backcountry ski trail. And then in partnership with our chapters, we manage a number of backcountry zones around the state to kind of like help people get out and kind of lower the barrier to entry for people that are you know, wanting to start exploring uh, backcountry skiing and splitboarding. Um, so tonight we're gonna be talking about etiquette. Um, all signs this year point to more people uh, looking to the backcountry and looking to the outdoors to get outside and recreate. Um, and if this summer was any indicator, uh, we're gonna see, we're expecting a, a lot of people to be kind of engaging in uh, splitboarding, backcountry skiing, Nordic skiing, all these different types of activities that um, we get to enjoy here in Vermont. But with a lot of people come some challenges and we just wanna make sure that everybody's familiar with the etiquette uh, so that we can all kind of play safe and be considerate and uh, enjoy our time outside um, this winter. So um, before we get going, we, maybe we should do some introductions. Um, Eric, would you like to start us off? Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, where you're located, uh, and a little bit about your history and you know the backcountry. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Eric Osterland, uh, located in the Jay Peak region of Vermont. Um, been splitboarding for uh, I guess it's probably six or seven years. Uh, before that, a couple of years of snowshoeing. Uh, before I invested in the in the splitboard, um, recently moved to Vermont from Boston. Uh, prior to uh, living in Boston for the past twelve years, I grew up on the border of Vermont, Vermont, New Hampshire, in the Upper Valley region in Cornish, New Hampshire. So, home mountain growing up was a Scutney. Uh, so it's awesome to see all the work that they've got going on there. Um, so yeah, it's pretty much me. Awesome, uh, Steve. Do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. I'm, uh, I'm Steve Sharp. Uh, I live in uh, central Vermont. I've uh, been, uh, I guess you could say, backcountry skiing since my first time I went to Tuckerman's in 1984 and telemark ski skiing since uh, 1989 when I took a telemark class at the University of Vermont to get my one credit of physical education. Uh, <laughs> and uh, ever since then, I've been uh, free in the heel and uh, and getting out there um, every year, just getting out and exploring. Um, I'm uh, involved with the Madder Valley Backcountry Coalition here in the Madder Valley, uh, part of the board of directors, and uh, happy to be here tonight. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Andrew, do you mind going next? Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Andrew Clausen. Um, I work with the US Forest Service here on the Manchester Ranger District, so Southern Vermont. Um, I've only been in Vermont a couple years now. I moved here from uh, New Hampshire. I was working over on the White Mountain National Forest before coming here. Uh, so got, got a lot of good skiing in over there. Uh, fantastic spot. Not that it's not great skiing here, but uh, has some pretty, pretty iconic runs over that way. Um, so I've been skiing for uh, probably only nine or 10 years at this point. Um, so not super long, but I've hit it pretty hard. Um, I had the privilege of uh, 
working in a lot of resorts out west. I'm working in Telluride and Vail and being able to check out a lot of those resorts and then some ski shops here as well. Um, worked for the uh, Waterville Valley Nordic Center as well. Um, so I've been really heavy into backcountry skiing, um, maybe alpine touring as well as uh, backcountry Nordic skiing. Great, <clears throat> thank you. And Mike. Thanks, Greg. Good evening, everyone. I'm Mike Snyder, uh, Commissioner of Forest Parks and Recreation, and um, also a backcountry skier since childhood. Uh, I had a lucky to have an older sister who was way before her time as a ski mountaineer and got me into it as an early age. Uh, home, I grew up not far from Cornish, New Hampshire, and my home hill was King Ridge and a little bit of Mount Sunapee, but uh, would hit Scutney and Okemo as well. Uh, and um, just been... Um, uh, as a forester, always looking for opportunities to uh, to consider ski lines and skiable terrain in uh, how we look at the forest as well. It's just been a huge part of my life. I'm really happy to be invited to be part of this because uh, I think we have a pretty significant thing ahead of us uh, and uh, we want to find a way to, to make it work. Great. Thanks, Mike. And my name is Greg Mano. I work at the Catamount Trail Association. I've been a backcountry skier for about 10 years now. I came from snowboarding and got into skiing. So uh, as a more efficient form of travel in the backcountry, um, I wish split boards were as awesome as they were are now as, then, as compared to then. Um, yeah, and I've been, um, I don't, right now I have two little kids at home. So my backcountry skiing kind of, you know, happens before or after work and in the dark. Um, and I'm just hoping this year that, you know, with influx of skiers, we can kind of all get along and make sure that everybody has a great time this season. So um, tonight I kind of wanted to start, start off with going through, um, there's a, some COVID guidelines that US Forest Service, the state of Vermont and the Catamount Trail Association, we collaborated on earlier this year um, and published a set of eight guidelines to kind of like help people um, engage with the outdoors, not just backcountry skiing, but winter recreation in general. And I kind of want to work through those and kind of like talk about kind of dive into a little bit about what those mean for backcountry skiers this season. Um, the first item on this on our list is uh, stay at home. And this is an item that ten, tends to rub people, some people the wrong way a little bit. And so um, the, the official item says, if you're not feeling healthy, have been exposed to COVID-19 or have traveled from locations requiring, requiring quarantine per the governor's executive order, please stay home and do not risk the health of others. And so I feel a lot of questions uh, in my, in my, day, to, in my day, day job at the Catamount Trail Association about this. And I see a lot of comments online. And one of the things that um, I a lot of people read this and hear, stay out, we don't want your COVID. And I just wanted to say that like, it's not just for people that are traveling to Vermont, it's also for people that are travel like in Vermont, like we, it's, it makes it very difficult for us to go anywhere as well. It also means, you know, I feel like the, the heart of this is, you know, we shouldn't be like moving between communities. So like my family, you know, we're in Burlington and we're not traveling to like Killington to go ski. We're not traveling to Jay Peak to go ski. Even within Vermont, we're trying to keep our, we're trying to play close to home as much as possible. Um, and so I kind of want to get your kind of your guys' feeling on like what this, what does stay at home mean to you? Does it mean like, um, and what do you think about this kind of, this kind of item? Um, Eric, do you, do you have thoughts on this? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's certainly tricky and frustrating as somebody that recently moved to Vermont from Boston. I can empathize with a lot of people that are frustrated with trying to come from out of state and enjoy it. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going down to Boston to see my barber, as you can see. Um, <laughs> and, and a, a lot of other things, uh, you know, family across the region, it, it makes it tough, but if we can, you know, stay on top of this, it's, it's going to get better, not worse. And the better we make it, the easier it becomes for everybody over time. So, you know, we've got to kind of stick to it and follow the rules. These aren't uh, people that are making these rules just to, you know, have power and control. There's logic and science behind this and, you know, let's pay attention and do what we can. Thanks. Uh, anybody else want to jump in? Sure, I'll comment, Greg. I guess I appreciate how Eric approached it. And um, and I would just say, let's zoom back uh, out in the guidance. It's embedded, this stay home thing is, you're right to point out, if you're not feeling guilty, I have the benefit of looking at it here. But if you zoom out, it starts with recreating and COVID-19. The point is, this is part of the answer, is to get out, stay healthy, you know, be sane, uh, be safe. And this is just how to do it. So it's not stay home, it's Stay home if you're not, it's not appropriate to, to come or to be anywhere uh, because you've been exposed or you're not feeling well. It, I just want to flag, remember, it starts with recreating. This is about starting with yes. And that's the beautiful thing about outdoor recreation as we've learned over the last several months is that where so much has been about no and what we can't do, this is part of the answer, the antidote. And, it's what, and people have shown it in droves coming out uh, to recreate. And, um, and so I just want to put it in context. This is stay home if you're, you know, if it's problematic, but it's within that context of go out, you know, go play, be healthy. Yeah. I, I like, I kind of wish it said play close to home yeah. uh, in some ways, because it's not saying don't go do anything. It's saying, I mean, again, like, I feel like this rule exists because we need to minimize contact with other communities and the people outside our communities. And so if you're traveling long distances, you just have a higher potential for engagement and, and cross and like and engaging with people from other like other communities. And right now with the, the disease, it seems like it's hard to know if you have it or not, uh, you know, due to testing and the way it presents. And so, you know, you playing know. close to home, playing in your backyard, you know, explore your backyard. It seems like that's that's kind of the, the takeaway for me. It's not it's not don't do anything. It's, you know, get outside, like you're saying, it's saying we, you go recreate outside. That is good. It's a good thing for you, but keep it close to where you, where you live. Right. We got together to make a poster with this guidance from the health department, but we put it together in the context of this is good, go outside and here's how you do it safely and well. And so, so we can get through this and uh, have a little bit of it. Right. Totally. <clears throat> Steve or Andrew, do you guys have uh, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the same messaging we're uh, putting forward um, with the Forest Service is, you know, try and stay in your local communities. Um, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with getting outside because, I mean, really, that's that's what's going to keep you healthy. Um, you know, getting out there and, and exercising a little bit um, is going to keep your immune system strong. And there's really no better place um, since it seems like the virus does have such a hard time spreading outdoors. Um, you know, that of all the types of winter activities you could do, um, being outside is, is probably up there with, with some of the safest. Um, but just like you said, yeah, just staying within your local community, um, you know, maybe explore some spots that you 
you didn't realize were in your backyard. Um, like a lot of people around here now, I think are, are gonna realize that, uh, you know, Dutch Hill is such a good resource. Um, now that it's published, it, it, it's out um, in the, uh, the new book, uh, the Bible. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's all I'd have to say. Um, we're going to be putting out some new signage as well. We're we're going to be putting some signs out there at some of these uh, popular backcountry ski areas to help drive that message in. Great, thank you. And Steve, yeah, you know, I I, I think it's important, you know, to recognize that it is frustrating, and um, but I, I'm sort of trying to see it as an opportunity to explore. Uh, areas uh, right in uh, my vicinity. So whether it's literally right out my door or, you know, in my community, you know, uh, I'm looking for those areas that I, maybe I thought, oh, someday I'll go try to explore and see if there's something there that I still haven't gotten to. Well, you know what, this is the year to go explore that area. So uh, I think it's also important to distinguish in those guidelines in the poster, it talks about stay home. And that's really about if you're sick or if you've been in contact with someone who has been, that's really what that's about. You know, it's the travel guidelines that I think can get especially, you know, sort of challenging and, and frustrating for folks, especially if you're used to coming from out of state, let's say in the Boston area or Connecticut and, and, and Vermont or Northern New England is really kind of your getaway. Um, yeah, it's tough, but you know, we're gonna get through this. We're kind of at a pinch point right now with this pandemic and you know, we just gotta sort of stay the course and get through this pinch point. For sure. <clears throat> Thanks, Steve. <clears throat> Anybody else wanna, anything to add? All right, let's move on. Uh, the next item on, the next etiquette item on the pandemic poster is be prepared. Um, and this one, I mean, the information here, it says, you are entering a remote, unpatrolled area where hidden hazards, changing conditions, and varied terrain all affect your safety. Be prepared for, back, for a backcountry emergency by carrying enough gear and warm, extra warm clothing to be self-sufficient for an extended period of time. Um, so yeah, I mean, this one's pretty self-explanatory. We have a lot, if a lot of people are coming into the backcountry, we, you know, we, you need to be prepared. Like, this year, especially, we're expecting a lot of new people to be coming into the backcountry. And with areas like, you know, Brandon Gap or some of the managed glades, uh, that barrier to entry is a little bit lower. And sometimes there's like a false sense of security at some of these places. Um, but a lot of times there's, you know, what people need to realize is this isn't a resort. Um, you're out there in the, you're out there on your own and you need to be prepared to be self-sufficient. And that means kind of like having extra food, having extra clothing. Uh, knowing how your equipment works, um, and 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 knowing how to know, like navigation and knowing where you are and knowing how to get out. There's a lot of there's a lot of considerations when it comes to going out in some of these places. And one of our concerns is with some of our zones, making sure that the people that are engaging in the activity um, kind of like realize that there's there's nobody coming for them. And if and if something does happen, it's going to be a long time before somebody gets to them. Um, does anybody else want to add to the, the be prepared? It strikes me as like, this is always the case. It's not necessarily <laughs> unique to the COVID situation. That said, I think it needs to be stressed as for the reasons you're mentioning, Greg, about the potential likelihood of uh, new folks uh, finding the power and wonders of backcountry sliding. 
Um, so, uh, but I would make a connection to the COVID situation with this otherwise universally applicable advice to be prepared in the backcountry appropriately. And there's some good tips here. The connection to COVID is um, think about our, if you're not prepared, then you're, you're risking, you're putting our, our friends, the pros and volunteers in the search and rescue world at risk. And, you know, we are concerned and we need to be aware of the healthcare system being overtaxed. And so we don't need additional risk or adding uh, to that mix by people not being prepared. So it's perfectly wonderful to be out there. It's always good advice. And that's why it's extra important now, I'd say, and that's the COVID connection or context in my mind. For sure. And I think that's a good segue into the next item, which is take it easy. Um, cause like for very similar reasons, you know, where if you're going into the backcountry, you know, we do have some other considerations to be taken into account. Um, if you, if you do require rescue or any kind of assistance, like you're saying that you're forcing our healthcare professionals and, uh, our rescue workers into a situation with that, you know, they might not want to be in, you know, um, and it's in your, in your potentially exposing them to something that they don't want to be exposed to. So this season, again, we, you know, being prepared, but also just, you know, reining it in a little bit. I think taking it easy is a little bit tricky, you know, for somebody like jumping off like a five foot cliff might be no big deal. Whereas for somebody else, it might be a huge deal. And I think that, you know, the idea isn't necessarily to like, just ski mellow train all the time, but it's like, whatever, whatever's challenging for you. Like if, if you have to, if you're thinking twice about whether or not you should do something or, um, you have any kind of like, um, if you pause for a moment to think about whether or not you should do something, you should probably not do it this season. Um, the idea is just to kind of like rein it in a little bit, kind of like dial it in and just like, don't take those, don't put yourself in a situation where you might be stuck out there for a while and you might, um, it's just this year isn't the year to kind of push the limit, push your limits. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, that's something that I, I always, uh, have to have to rein it back a little bit in the backcountry and, and remind myself of where I am sometimes because sometimes you just see a feature that looks so cool and you're like oh my god like that's the perfect rock to go huck off of but then you have to think like okay well if this doesn't work out how long is it <laughs> going to take me to get out of here <laughs> like do I have parts to repair my skis or um, you know anything like that and especially for new people um, I think you're absolutely right that we're going to see a huge influx in in backcountry skiers just with people trying to avoid resorts and crowds of people um, with all these new skiers coming in they might not have that extra equipment to repair a binding if it breaks out in the field or um, you know have an avalanche shovel or anything like that um, to help excavate lost skis or um, you know, I, I know our avalanche risk isn't huge here, but it does still exist in certain areas. So uh, people might um, not really realize that avalanches can still be a risk here and have that proper equipment. Totally. <clears throat> and things like assuming there's going to be cell service, you know, we know, we should all know that, that you can't make that assumption in Vermont, um, especially in the backcountry. So I think for new people to think that like their phone's going to be able to bail them out, uh, allow them to like call for help or even like use their maps, you know, some, some app to figure out where they're at. Um, that is kind of a, that's an assumption that they shouldn't make. Like before you head out, you really need to be thinking about like, how are you going to, if something goes wrong, what's gonna happen? Did you tell somebody what your plan was and when you expect to be back? 
did you, do you have some sort, do you have a map and compass? Do you have some sort of other sort of navigational tools that you can use that if you do find yourself in a situation where you don't know where you're at, that you can relocate yourself and get out safely on your own? Um, you know, the, again, these are things that we should be doing anyway um, as backcountry skiers. But again, our concern is like, as, as if there's a large influx of new people, um, there, we're going to have more inexperienced people out there. And for us, we're, we want to help try and communicate to as many people as possible, like what they should be thinking about. Um, and then additionally, because it's a, because of the pandemic, you know, there are other considerations that we want to make, we want to be careful of. We don't like our healthcare workers have enough to think about right now. They don't need to be thinking about unprepared skiers making poor decisions. Um, so I really see I really see these guidelines in many ways as as relevant in any year. It we just have sort of a, an additional veneer um, and some additional complexity, um, obviously with the pandemic. So things like traveling and uh, you know having to worry about you know spreading um, COVID, but the idea of being prepared and and being um, more cautious than you would be at the ski resort is one that is a good reminder, I think for all of us, that even those of us who have been doing this for a long time, um, you know, we can become complacent and it's, uh, it's a, this is all a good reminder for both us and, and those who are new. Sure. And again, I like, Andrew mentioned like Abbey conditions. And I think here in Vermont, <clears throat> that's something that, you know, as backcountry skiers and splitboarders, we don't often think about um, because we don't have to a lot of times, but I think people should know that there are places where there are avalanche, there is avalanche danger. And it's really, and because we don't think about it very often, very frequently, it's really easy to find yourself in a, in a dangerous situation and one, maybe not even be aware of it. Um, and two, not be prepared because you don't have, you know, proper equipment on you, the, your shovel beacon probe. And then on a third level, if you're, if we don't, we're not thinking about it very often, we're probably not practicing very often. So um, again, you know, these things, these things are things we should all be thinking about this year when we're headed out. Um, and even if the travel restrictions kind of drop and we can travel the Adirondacks, we can travel to the White Mountains again, you know, we know that's, that's avalanche terrain. But again, if you're not used to practicing thinking that way, moving in that terrain can be really you know, dangerous for you. And especially if you're unpracticed and using the, the, the tools. Um, so I don't know, yeah. It's, yeah I mentioned deep. that one of the areas that I find that is sort of the greatest vulnerability beyond like personal injury, you know, or injury of somebody in your party. And, and that sort of highlights the importance of not traveling alone um, and of, of having some, uh, you know, first aid gear and thinking about how you would do an extraction and being self-sufficient, but gear repair, um, you know, I think, a, um, a lot of folks aren't necessarily prepared with a repair kit that they've actually tested and know will work on their gear. Um, I have found myself very far deep in, uh, in very deep snow with gear failure, um, and fortunately was able to repair and get out and it made it, you know, made it very clear that if I hadn't been prepared, uh, it could have been a really bad situation. So, um, and that, that is rare. I haven't had that happen very often, but when it does and you're, um, if you're not prepared, you can really, you know, really get yourself, uh, in a tough situation. So what was the key piece you had, Steve? <clears throat> 
Uh, bailing wire. Uh, <laughs> uh, medium gauge bailing wire was on the telly on the three pin and hard wire, three pin volet sure. and, the, and the rivet popped on one yeah. side. So I was able to put a bailing wire through there and, and uh, yeah, I, I was fine. But each list. binding is different, right? Each binding is different. That's uh, that's that binding. You may have a split bore binding. You may have an AT binding. Each one's a little different. So think about like, what am I going to do with like with an AT binding when those little pins for some reason don't want to shut up? You got a plan. You got to have some plan and have some stuff. And yeah, it's a little more weight. And you're thinking, I don't want to bring more weight, but throw it in there. You need it because you never know. Well, and the hope is with all this stuff, right? You never have to use it, right? And if you if you bring it, you won't. <laughs> yeah, you it's, bring it. <laughs> it's like a rule. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, totally. Great. You always at least have duct tape, though. The universal yeah. binding repair kit. <laughs> no, always straps, fails. duct tape, and yep. uh, bailing wire. That that at a minimum. And safety pin, safety pins, and blister material. I feel like that's the that's yeah. your kit. You know. Like nothing slows a tour down or like puts you in danger quicker than somebody with like shredded heels that doesn't, isn't moving fast enough. And that's, that's super common. I feel like that's, we run a bunch of tours and blisters are by far one of the most common ailments. And that really puts people at risk if they're going point to point and, you know, conditions aren't fast and it's getting dark and cold. <laughs> There's some good references out on the internet for repair kits. So check it out. Yeah. And next, actually, next week we're gonna next Tuesday we're gonna be doing a show and tell focused on uh, repairing first aid kits. Oh, great! Neil Neil Van Dyke will be joining us as well. Um, so I don't know if you guys know Neil, but he's been kind of like the go-to search and rescue person in Vermont for a long time. So he should be a lot of good tips next week. Um, should we move on? All right. So let's the next item we're gonna do is keep your distance. Uh, this is definitely uh, more of a COVID-specific guideline. Uh, we all know that by now that six feet is the recommended minimum distance. Uh, six feet is uh, more is better. And I think that we should be, you know, focusing on um, how this applies in the backcountry. And so, more, you know, if you think about like at the, in the skin track, you know, if you, I feel like if you have two groups, if you're approaching somebody or a, a group is approaching you, you want to make sure that you're moving well off the skin track. And at the same time, make sure your group moves all to the same side of the skin track. Uh, this summer on hikes or biking trips and other things, like you see groups, you know, split apart to the other side, and then you have to like navigate through the middle of them. And it's nice to be able to, if everybody chooses one side, then the person that's passing gets, you know, they can move six feet, they can go 12 feet, they can go as far as they want to feel comfortable. And so I feel like making sure that you move into one side of the trail gives that other group the opportunity to choose how much you know, space they're comfortable with. Um, and it just makes sure that um, you know, people are staying safe and, like, and people feel safe as well. Because you wanna, you know, just because you give somebody six feet doesn't mean they're comfortable with that. And I wanna make, you know, it's nice to be able to be, take that extra consideration and just give them the opportunity to choose their own path around you instead of forcing them up through the middle. Um, I also want to make a point right now. I've noticed a lot this this season since the, the pandemic hit. Like when I go running, uh, I see a lot of people use the distance as a way to like disengage uh, with people that you're passing. And I personally like to wave or say hi or smile, you know, at everybody I pass, just to let them know that me moving to the other side of the street isn't anything against them. It's really just me respecting their space and giving them the option 
to like not crowd them. Um, and so I, I just think like, I want, I want people to be careful about not engaging with other people when they're out there. Like this is a fun experience we're having if we're backcountry skiing or splitboarding. And I want to make sure that we're, we're sharing in that experience and we're not, you know, it's, we're not using it to kind of like segregate ourselves or separate ourselves. We should be kind of enjoying this together. Um, and, you know, just recognizing that I'm having fun, you're having fun and we, we're sharing this experience and that's a good and important thing. It's good for your mental health. It's good for our physical health. Um, it's just, it's like the shining light and during this pandemic. Um, anybody else want to jump in? Yeah. Um, keeping your distance. I think something to pay attention to while you're in the skin track is if someone's coming up behind you, um, let them go. If there's an established skin track, let them go ahead. Um, don't make them, you know, pressure you or stay right behind if they're trying to go faster than you are. Uh, step off, you know, be polite, be kind. Uh, likewise, if, if you're coming up behind somebody and you want to pass, maybe ask. Um, but then that always gets tricky if you're breaking trail and someone's breaking trail for hours and they're almost at the summit and you want to pass them right at the top, maybe let them drop first. Um, so a couple things to, to consider around those lines, but probably not best to be up on the back of their skis for, for a while. Yeah, exactly. Say something, let them know. And then like you're saying, be, be respectful of those first tracks if that's what's at stake. You know, if somebody put the time in to earn them, like let them have that reward. Um, so. Yeah, and I'd also say, you know, it depends on the zone, but don't just go setting a bunch of other skin tracks. Uh, it's usually best to have one consolidated skin track, um, you know, depending on how wide or, or what type of terrain there is. You, you don't want... 50 different skin tracks meandering around one kind of tight zone that's going to take a little bit of the fun out of it uh yeah. especially as those skin tracks ice up um throughout the season so try to yeah. keep them consolidated totally well it's kind of like snow management like right you want to yeah. everybody to be practicing snow management you know there's only so much terrain in, in a zone right and like you should be reusing that skin track as much as possible if you go to one of our managed zones, there will be an established skin track. And it's typically those have been laid out in a way, hopefully to minimize, um, there aren't any steep sections or like overly steep sections uh, to kind of minimize the, the challenges that would come from, you know, a lot of use. So, and the idea, the idea behind like, you're, like you're saying, like making sure that the skin track and the skiing areas are kind of like separate. You wanna minimize interactions between uphill and downhill traffic because you know, just like at a resort, you don't want to, you wouldn't park yourself at the bottom of a jump and, you know, in the line of fire as people are coming down. And so like when you're setting the skin track, you want to make sure you're, you're not going right up the gut of something or right through someplace that somebody's going to be skiing down. You want to kind of keep it to the edge, keep it out of the way, um, make sure it's not too steep uh, because that makes it challenging. And that's, and if it's too steep, once it ices up, it's going to force people to kind of like choose other paths. Um, and so like, if you want people to like stay on one skin track, you that whoever's setting it needs to make sure that the established skin track, they're establishing it in a way that's usable for all users. Um, anybody else? <laughs> I was just, Perfect. I was just well, going to say in terms of like to keep your distance, you know, uh, just to kind of jump on, on the idea that we're, we're keeping our distance because of this pandemic and which is a challenge because often, you know, we're, we're trying to socialize. Um, 
But if we keep our distance and we're, we're smart about that, it doesn't mean you need to be uh, anti or you can't be social. So um, I know myself, I'm a, I'm a social animal. Um, each of us are a little different, but you know, I like to make some connection with folks when I'm out there. Um, and I can do that as long as I'm doing it at a safe distance. So I can say hi and how's it going? Isn't the, uh, this great day or whatever? Um, folks, I think most folks really want to make that connection. And uh, so don't, don't let it um, keep you from making those connections. For sure. Thanks, Steve. <clears throat> so we have, we'll move on to through the, through the items. The next item we have is uh, know before you go. Um, and this one again is kind of um, intended to be a little bit more of a COVID specific, a pandemic specific guideline. Uh, it says backcountry use peaks between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Saturdays. Go early, go late, go during the week. Um, and then check our, check the Catamount Trails Association for updates. Um, the idea behind this is that, you know, again, with, I don't know if anybody tried to go hiking or biking this year uh, during the summer, but if you ever show, I don't know if you showed up to a trailhead and there, the, you know, it's chock full of cars, there's cars lining the road. Um, there's not a lot of, in the summers, we can maybe get away with that. But in the winter, um, parking's gonna be more limited. And so getting out to some of these places is gonna be even more difficult. Um, there are landowner concerns, you know, sometimes some of those, our zones are on private land. Uh, some of the areas that people like to frequent are next to, you know, have neighbors uh, that necessarily don't want you parking in their yards or in front of their driveways. Um, and so as a way to kind of spread out use this season, we're encouraging people to kind of like, just think about the times that you're going out and participating in, you know, backcountry skiing, you know, like there are obvious high traffic periods, you know, 10 to two on, on the, like middle of the day on the weekends, is always going to be high traffic. Um, if you can avoid those times, you're going to help kind of like spread use out. If you have the ability uh, to ski during the week, um, ski during the week. Um, if you can go before work in the morning or in the, in the evening, do that. It's, it's just a, one of these things like, again, with the, if there's a large influx of people into the sport, uh, we're going to have, parking is going to be one of our biggest issues. And um, we all need to kind of work together to kind of minimize the fallout from having like crowded parking spots and, um, you know, around the state. Um, anybody else want to add anything? Yeah, this is one of the things that I'm concerned about. Um, this summer, hiking trails, biking trails, they were all really busy. And this winter, um, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned just with the lack of ability to carpool and people parking at trailheads, overflowing the trailheads into the roads, um, people trying to camp overnight at trailheads. And then maybe they you know, even need to get towed out and there's all sorts of crud left and that takes up two or three extra spots. Um, and I think worst case situation would be you get a bunch of people parking along the side of the road. It's bad conditions in the road. I know a lot of trailheads are on main highways with you know, pretty fast speed limits. And we don't want somebody getting hit by a car that isn't expecting, you know, um, 20 or 30 cars spilling into both sides of the road. So really try to, if, if you can have a second or third option at the trailheads that you're thinking of, um, you get there and it's, it's full, uh, try to move on. Don't just stuff your car into a snowbank. 
three quarters into the road. Um, it's, it's going to be a, a tough year for stuff like that. And, uh, I think avoiding that would be good. Bring a shovel. Uh, if you're showing up early and there's a bunch of crud, keep it in your car, try to get rid of it. If you get plowed in while you're there, cause it's a storm day. Uh, we all love that. But as you leave, maybe try to get rid of some of the snow that's built up around your car. Anything you can do to help. Totally. I think that, and the, that kind of bleeds into the next point, be considerate. And I, I like your point of bringing a shovel. Uh, just because, I mean, like, leave it better than you found it, right? Um, you know, maybe if there's a, it's just this, we can all do, we can all do something to kind of help improve the situation. And like parking considerately, how many times have you shown up to a parking lot and there's space for 10 cars, but there's only five or six cars there and like, there's not enough room, you know, take that extra 30 seconds to kind of like reposition your car, get your buddy out of the car or, or, you know, just take some extra time and make sure that you're parking tight so that there's space for other users. Um, I mean, like there's, these are little things that go a long way over the course of the season. And so, you know, we're all just thinking about these things and thinking about other users and how can we, what can we do to make sure the person that comes after us has a good time as well. Um, that's going to go, that's going to go a long way to helping us have a good year. Um, and so it's not, it might, you know, and that's, that's ever, again, every season, this is something we should be doing every season, not just because of the pandemic. I mean, I mean, and hopefully some of these kind of like stick with people because there's a little more emphasis on them this season, but th these are things that are going to help us have. And this, oh, Steve, you're muted. <laughs> Was that the dog biting into your internet connection there, Greg? I'm at the I'm at the office. <laughs> did I oh. did I glitch out? For a second. Uh, just done. a second, yeah. Did you have something to say, Steve? I thought you had you were no, muted. No, no, I didn't. I was just chiming in about your dog and then realized I was muted. <laughs> part of the part of the whole Zoom reality. Nice. Greg, I'd like to comment a little bit further on this if I could. Yes. Go for it, Mike. I mean, you've just said it. Steve's made the point earlier, which I think was really a good one about like, well, we've all said like some of this stuff is, applies in any year, but maybe one thing we could use this pandemic situation to help cement some of these things and help us realize just how important they are. So the the access thing, like on state lands, uh, it's legendary, the, the, the limits we have with parking and the better the winter, the worse it is, right? The more limited it is. So. Um, I'm hoping that we can, because of the, as Eric said, the, the lack, you can't carpool necessarily and we all need to get out and there'll be new users. We can't have this be the season where the neighbors say, no mas, enough. Because I'll tell you folks, I get, my inbox is pretty immense and we hear from our neighbors and it's really important on public lands to have good relationships with our host communities and the neighbor, neighborhoods, the people who live there. So how you drive in, how you drive out and the parking. And it's really limited, particularly we've just inherited some of these places without a master plan for providing for the full access. Now with the CARES Act money, we've actually at the agency have, have invested in some significant upgrades, which is really great. Um, and we intend to do more of that to ease the burden but we, we could use the community being together to show we know how to do this and we can just like my someone said, Eric, I think just, you know what, you might have to just move on. And this is the winner to really demonstrate that we can do that because we have historically this long record of limited access and we have to overcome it. It's a huge part of providing for expanded terrain 
uh, on public lands. We have to get that access figured out. And the, the first step is to show that we know how to treat respectfully and use appropriately the access limited as it is that we do have. <clears throat> totally. <clears throat> Thanks, Mike. Yeah, we've been in some of our social media, we've been pushing like have a plan A, but have a plan B and yeah. maybe even a plan C and a plan D, you know, it's that it's going to be that type of winter. And so, you know, just go into it, go into your day, assuming like knowing that this could be a problem and that, you know, to be a considerate and respectful user, like for all the reasons you just mentioned, you know, we can't, you can't just say, screw it and like stuff your snow, your car into the snowbank and go for it. Like we really need to be, if, you know, if 50 people do that every day of the week, that's going to cause a problem for like for the state, for the land managers, for us as a recreation manager. Um, and they're, you know, and if it, and like you said, this could be the year where we're experience, we're expecting such a high influx of users and participation, especially because of the increased car load because of the, right. you know, no carpooling that this, you know, this is by far one of our most worrying things is parking this, this winter. Um, and so, and, and the fallout that could transpire because of, you know, users and, and it's, it's a hard thing. It's not, it's not an easy thing to accept the fact that you might get someplace at the wrong time and there's no spots and you have to turn around and go to and this may be your only, I mean, a lot of folks are busy and have a lot of responsibilities and family and work and whatever. You, it would not, some of us don't have all that many chances. You get out there. It's heartbreaking to think that you're not going to get in. I, I totally get that. And I wish everybody the best, but we got to pull in the same direction here. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's something we, we have definitely been dealing with, uh, you know, for forest service lands as well. Um, in a normal year, you know, we're very limited on parking in the winter. And if this summer was any indicator of what it's going to be like, um, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a battle for parking. Um, you know, with, with a lot of states on uh, lockdown, people not working, people getting unemployment benefits, um, essentially paid to stay home. Um, a lot of people were getting out and recreating and it was, you know, there was no difference between weekdays and weekends. Um, it was just busy straight through um and now with this new resurgence of of COVID in a lot of places we might be in that situation again where a lot of people don't um, really have to go to work um and then it's just gonna you know like you said if you can avoid skiing on weekends that's great um but if we end up in a situation where a lot of people aren't working again and just have all week to go recreate um, we might be in the same situation where it's just packed straight through the week again um, so that's always something to consider as well. Um, if you're thinking like, oh boy, like I don't have to work, like let me go out. That's probably what a lot of other people are thinking as well. Um, and you know, a lot of the trailheads we have on national forest land, uh, like CTA, um, you know, access points are also shared parking lots with other recreation groups like snowmobilers. Okay. And if the skiing's good, the snowmobiling's probably good as well. So that's something to consider. Uh, if you're going out Great looking point. for a, a good uh, backcountry Nordic ski or something along those lines. Um, you know, maybe, maybe avoid uh, access points that have a shared parking lot with other user groups that might uh, open up some more opportunities for you. For sure. <clears throat> when I feel like there's other safety considerations as well, you know, just because, you know, you might park along the side of the road and think another car can get through, but a, a plow truck might not be able to get through. And emergency then, personnel, emergency personnel et cetera, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of other, uh, you know, and so it's not just like, you're going to piss off a landowner or a neighbor like you could actually create a situation that's dangerous more dangerous for everybody else that's there and yourself and so again it's 
it's going to be a tough year. There's no way around it. Um, but again, the idea that we're, we're kind of all in this together and we need to work together to make sure that we all have access in the future and that we can all can continue to enjoy these experiences. Um, and we just need to be thinking about it. And, you know, if you can just, we need to be reminding people about this as well. Like this, it's great that we're having this talk and sharing this with the people that are watching, but I feel like the people that are out there watching, like you guys need to be reminding people and telling your friends as well about, you know, just share, share the love and like, like let people know like what they need to be thinking about and um, help other people understand like what the issues are, right? This are gonna be this year. Uh, anybody else have anything more to say about that? All right, we have two more points left. Uh, one, the next one's wear a mask. Um, again, another pandemic specific uh, item. And <clears throat> I mean, our thoughts on this, a lot, a lot of people skiing like the buff is a really popular, um, you know, piece of ski clothing. Uh, but we want, what we want to make sure people know is that a buff, while it's better than nothing, it is not as protective as a mask. And so if you're going to be out there in the, if you're going to be heading out of your house a way where you might engage with other people this season, you really should have a mask with you. And in, so that you have a mask with yourself so that in situations where you cannot maintain that six feet of distance, you can, you have it available to you to put it on. And while in a buff, while better than nothing, again, it's, it's really not adequate, as good as a mask. So we, we really recommend everybody have a mask on you. Um, anytime you leave the house these days, you really should have a mask anyway. You just never know when you're going to have to interact with another person. And so it's just a good practice to have. Um, anybody want to add anything to the mask? You crushed yeah. it, Greg. All right. Thanks. And then the last item is the last item is respect travel guidelines. Um, and again, like we, we kind of alluded to this in the beginning, uh, Steve brought it up. Um, the travel guidelines, they're, they're tough this year. You know what I mean? Like it's, there, there is a, there is a pathway through, there's a pathway forward. If you do want to travel, you, you can do it. There are, um, ways to do that, but it's, it's not easy. And there's a lot to think about. Um, you know, it's not, and it's, and I think that's going to be frustrating. We all recognize that that's going to be, that's a frustrating and challenging thing this season. But again, it's, they're not there arbitrarily. There are, there are reasons that um, these guidelines have been put in place and they're designed that they're, the way that they are. Um, Mike, do you want to weigh in on this since at all? Well, I, I mean, that's, it's, you said it well, it's, I mean, it is, it is, I, I would acknowledge the frustrations, uh, the difficulties associated. We dealt with it through the summer with our state park system and people coming literally from all over and having to break their hearts when, you know, helping them understand, well, actually, if you didn't follow, you can't really come in and, oh, it's tough. Uh, so I want to acknowledge all of that and then just pivot to, it's really appropriate. It's not capricious. It's not arbitrary. It's, it's built on the very best guidance. Vermont has done extremely well. You know exceptionally well and if so it's because of people following the guidance and it's guidance like this tough as it is with implications rippling throughout dimensions of our life here it's tough did i say it's tough did we agree it's tough but it, it ha has to be and it's our best hope um and uh, remember i guess perspective uh and that it's inconvenient as heck uh and it's totally is unsettling, but it's this is a global health pandemic, uh, the likes of which none of us has seen and hopefully won't see again. But 
This is the time to make it work and get beyond so that we can recover fully better on the other side. And that'll happen sooner and stronger and faster and better if we follow this kind of guidance. I guess I just, I could go carry on. I just think it's really important. I've been frustrated. I've had uh, trips canceled. I'm very, I have a lot of hobbies and it ain't happening. Uh, I get it. And, um, but I'm, I'm, I've come to peace with it. It's how it has to be. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Mike. I, we, we have seen a lot of that on the, the you know, National Forest as well. Sure. Um, a lot of people who uh, maybe have second homes in the area, they're coming up to away from more populated areas. Um, and then, you know, they think, oh, the numbers are low here. I'm fine. I can go out. Right. Maybe you do feel fine. Um, but it is really just, you know, inconsiderate of others to come here, assuming you don't have it. Um, you know, if you are a second homeowner or you're coming back from traveling for the holidays or something, you know, just quarantine for a week and then go get a test, come back negative, great. Um, go recreate, get out there. Um, but to just assume you don't have it because you don't feel sick is just, uh, yeah, inconsiderate of, uh, of everybody else in your community. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we agree. It's tough and it's inconvenient and nobody's psyched about it. You know what I mean? It's like you said, they're not arbitrary. It's designed because of the way the virus and the, the presents and how the, the symptoms present. And it's just, it's, it's kind of, that's just the boat we're in right now. And we're all in it together, you know, um, no matter where you live, like it's, you're the, we just need to be kind of like traveling as little as possible. And, you know, the borders are one of those things that we can identify and, and like it's, and people know where it is. So that's one of the, that's why they're there. I mean, I live in Chittenden County and I, we try not to travel out of our, our county um, just because we know we shouldn't like, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of this rule, I feel like is like, don't, don't, you don't, we don't want to be mixing communities. Like you, you know, COVID doesn't travel on its own. Um, it travels with people. And, um, and I think that we just need to recognize that if we're moving, we're, we could potentially be helping. Like maybe we're symptomatic, maybe we're not. We, if you haven't been tested, even if you've been tested, it's hard to know. Um, and so right now, until we're out of the woods, um, until, you know, there's some sort of treatment or something in place, I feel like this is this is the lot we've been given, and again, we just need to all, you know, be considerate of each other, be considerate of our fa our own families, the people we love, um, and like respect everybody. Um, and it's a public health emergency. Sorry, Greg, but it just occurs <laughs> to me is like you can narrow it down. It's a public health emergency. That says it all. It's not about you or me. It's a public health emergency. It's our problem, and we're in it together, as you said. Great. So with that, that ends kind of the COVID guidelines and that I feel like now I kind of want to dive into a little bit more of just the general backcountry guidelines and like faux pas and things that um, as backcountry users, skiers and riders, um, things that kind of like just make for a bad experience. And like new people might not be aware that it's a problem, but um, again, it there are certain things that really turn people off, like get people riled up in. Um, and they're just other considerations that are great for keeping yourself safe and having a good time. So, um, let's dive into these. Does anybody, does anybody have like a favorite, um, or not a favorite bike? A, like, what's the thing you hate the most when somebody else does? I feel like, I feel like there's a couple that are always at the top of the list. Um, Eric, do you want to go? You have a smirk. <laughs> um, I've got a bunch, uh, but I don't know. Uh, let's see. 
I, I'll start on one. It's it's not my least favorite, uh, but it's one that's close to me. Um, my skiing partner most often is my dog. And uh, he's been skiing with me since he was a puppy. And he's pretty good, you know? Um, not all dogs are great. And not all people love dogs. So you've got to be very conscious. It's, it's hard. I've got a big, lovable Bernese Mountain dog who loves people. Uh, but you've got to be aware, not all people love dogs. And also, not all dogs are the same. And a lot of people are going to want to be getting out backcountry skiing for the first time. They're going to want to take dogs that have never been. Uh, be really aware when you're taking your dog into the backcountry, it is the backcountry. Uh, this isn't a grassy meadow somewhere. Underneath uh, the snow that you're floating over is a lot of obstacles. And a lot of those can be sharp sticks um, that can injure your dog. There's a, a variety of different things that can happen. Um, some dogs are better built to be in the snow all day than other dogs. You know, a dog with long hair is probably going to do better than a dog with short hair. Um, you got to watch their paws. There's, there's a lot of stuff there. So be aware of your dog. Make sure that your dog isn't going to go chasing after somebody um, and scare them or ruin their day. Uh, also, make sure that your dog isn't going to ruin its day and your day by getting hurt, um, getting cut by somebody's edge, getting hurt by something under the snow, uh, getting you know too cold, um, all those things. Skiing with a dog is fantastic. It's amazing. But um, there's good ways to do it. And there's not so good ways to do it. So try to ease into it. Um, feel your dog out. Anytime I go with my dog, I don't consider it me skiing. It's, it's a fun dog walk for us both. So the objective is a little bit different. I'm not thinking about what I want to do and what I want to accomplish on that ride or tour. It's more about, okay, what can I do with my dog? How is the dog going to be having fun? And how am I going to be able to get out? I know that stuff, once uh, the dog's great at going down, you know, medium pitch terrain. But once it flattens out, if there's three feet of snow on the ground, he's having a hard time as I'm just kind of cruising, cruising over top. Um, so something to consider if you're planning on getting out there with your dog for the first time. Yeah. Hey, Eric, do you travel with any kind of like special first aid items just to make yeah, sure? Yeah. If hey, uh, in the event that something does happen, you're prepared. Uh, gunshot to kit. Gunshot um, kit. Like blood clotting sponges, stuff like that. Um, I'm most concerned about puncture wounds. Again, my dog is, it's a Bernese mountain dog built to be in the Swiss Alps. Um, minus 15 degrees just lays in the driveway for three hours at a time. Not every dog is going to do that. Uh, so be aware of your dog, understand, you know, be in tune with your dog, just like it's a touring partner. Um, check in if it keeps licking at its paws or something like that. Look for blood in the snow as they're walking um, and, you know, ease into it start start in a safe spot um and start in a spot that you've you know maybe walked in the off season and you know that there's not or you, not that you know but you have a good idea that there's not a bunch of debris under there that's that's waiting and lurking that could be a, a problem of some sort sure so basically be aware of your know your dog yeah. be prepared to like clean up after your dog at the same Absolutely. time be prepared be prepared if something happens to take care of your dog like they're your dog, right? So you need to be thinking about all these things before you head out into the backcountry. 
Yeah, that's a great point that I didn't touch on is cleaning up after your dog. Um, you know, bring your poop bag, but nobody wants to put the poop bag into their pack. Bring a little Tupperware. If it's cold enough, the crap's going to freeze at some point, so it's not an issue. Maybe you can tie it outside your pack, but I'd recommend bringing a little Tupperware or something like that, putting it in there and then making sure you you get rid of it and don't just, you know, throw the poop bag on the side of the trail and expect that some fairy is going to come and get it. Um, and don't leave it at the trailhead either. If there's not an appropriate trash receptacle, pack it in, pack it out. Same goes with your, uh, with your stuff that you're trying to leave. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree. I think since we're on the topic of poop, uh, we might mention like some LNT principles. Like a lot of people think that you can dig and bury it in the snow, but the reality is if you can't get down to organic, like the, the dirt and de deposit in the dirt, you're, it's not sufficient. And in this winter time, if there's six feet, eight feet of snow below you, you're gonna have a real hard time getting down to the dirt. So you need to be prepared to take care of your own crap too, if that's the case. Like, you know, Dawn Patrol, that's that's a real, that's not an uncommon problem for people to, you know, leave the house without fully being prepared um, yeah. for the rest of the day. So, I mean. I think that same thing with, you know, van life and people car camping, um, getting up and having their morning coffee, maybe before they hit the, the skin track, uh, let's not make a mess of our trailheads. Um, let's uh, make sure that we can take care of it. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. So dogs. All right. Let's go. Let's dive. We've mentioned some of this before, but like, what about skin track etiquette? What are some, what are some of your least favorite things that happen on the skin track? Um, does anybody, Steve, you want to mention, I, there's an easy one here. Well, I mean, there's the bus <laughs> tolling, of course, uh, yeah. no, nobody likes that. So, you know, if you're, if for some reason you, uh, aren't on skis or don't have a split board where you're skinning and for some reason, let's say you're snowshoeing or for whatever reason you're, you're and I don't, I don't tend to see a lot of people post-holing necessarily in the backcountry. Sometimes on multi-use trails, you'll see that where it might be, you know, a, a hiking trail um, as well as folks use it to get into the backcountry. In those areas, sometimes you'll see some post-holing. Um, and I think to add to the, you know, sort of the poop conversation, uh, pee is another thing. Obviously, you can't pack that out, but you don't need to pee right in the middle of the skin track either, or right in the middle of the ski zone. So at least, you know, you, you can step away far enough where you're not relieving yourself right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. I mean, I think like when it comes to post holing in the skin track, you know, if, you, if you've got skins on and skis on your feet, like use the skin track. If you're in snowshoes or you're out, you're for whatever reason, you don't have any sort of support, uh, on your feet, like just, I mean, you can go next to the skin track, but just don't go in the skin track. You know, it creates, it's dangerous. Uh, it ruins, ex you know, you're, you're negatively affecting somebody else's experience. Um, again, at some of the zones, like ideally nobody would post hole ever, um, but um, you know, I, maybe, I, you get, maybe you could get some special shoes that look like moose prints. And then instead of it being a bad thing, people are like, oh, there was a moose out here. You know what I mean? Like instead of, <laughs> Uh, some, you know, a skier or snowboarder, you know, hiking up in. Um, I'll add on to that because I've been out and stumbled across post holing. I know I'm the, the split border here. Um, <laughs> so don't post hole, don't do it. But at the same time, I've watched that ruin somebody's day. 
when there's a post hold skin track and it's like it's not ideal it stinks but don't let it boil your blood um try to try to move on from that moment if you can because it happens um and it's going to happen especially this this year so let's not fly off the hand if you come across the people doing it like let's use it as a teaching moment um everybody's emotions are ratcheted up a, a couple extra notches this year um so so try to ease back on yourself and on them when you come across it because i've definitely um you know watch some instances where people lay into somebody and it's like i don't think anybody learned from that um so don't let it ruin your day it's it detracts yes but not that bad um they didn't post down your post hold down your power line totally and and i agree with you right like who are the people that are most likely to be postal in right they're they're new users like they're people that don't have appropriate equipment and they're just trying to get out yeah um Yes, they made a poor choice, but like they might not have, they just don't know any better. And like, this is an opportunity for you to kind of in, like share some knowledge with them. Um, but like you said, like if you do it in an aggressive way, it's you're unlikely to transfer any information. Whereas if you approach them uh, with some consideration and just kind of like, you can let them know that it's a very frustrating thing, but you don't have to like, like you said, fly off the handle about it because uh, I just think I do this with my kids all the time. Like they're always fighting, right? And so, you have to tell them like, hey, if you, if you want somebody to be nice to you, you need to be nice back to them. It's kind of, and it, it goes for adults too. You know, and if you want somebody to have some respect for you, show them respect uh, right off the bat. And just understand that like, if you do come across somebody postaling, they, they just probably don't know any better. And if you share some knowledge with them in a kind and considerate way, they will likely change their behavior like immediately after that. So um, I don't know. Yeah, postal and skin track. Always, everybody's the bane of every backcountry skier's existence. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, if you're if you're nice to that person and and inform them, who knows? Maybe they'll they'll keep at it and they'll end up joining a local uh, chapter of the CTA and being a good trail steward. But if you lay into them and start yelling at them, they'd be like, "Oh wow, those those skiers are jerks. <laughs> I don't want to be associated with them." So you never know how far that that gesture is going to go with people out there. And uh, we really do want to grow the the uh, community and, and uh, welcome anybody in who who is willing to uh, put the effort into hike up. Great point, Andrew. And it makes me wonder. I don't know. Are there could there be folks on the line or are listening in because they're relatively new? And maybe it's worth explaining why post tolling is bad. We're all taking it that it is, um, and and maybe that itself could be off putting to a newbie. Is like, wait, they're talking a lingo. I don't even know what they mean. Why is post tolling bad? Anybody want to jump in? Well, so first to define post tolling, um, when you when you skin up in the in the backcountry, uh, you're on skis or um, a split board that's in ski mode, and um, it spreads out your weight and creates basically like a flat surface that um, you know other skiers can kind of like can easily kind of like glide up. You don't have to pick up your feet very much. It makes for after the first person breaks trail, it makes for a very efficient way to get uphill. However, if somebody comes through after behind that person uh, and does not have support, uh, some sort of support structure on their feet, um, you're going to sink, you're likely going to sink up, you know, to your knees or to your, your waist or who knows. I mean, I think like if it's too deep, people aren't going to continue on, but at a certain point, like you might be knee or thigh deep and you're punching these huge holes every few feet um, into the skin track. And so one, you know, a skin on the bottom of a ski needs snow to, to create grip. And so if you have a bunch of holes 
in that snow, you're going to reduce the amount of grip available for the people that are coming up that skin track behind you. Um, and it can be a and, it, and it's a it can be a dangerous thing too. I mean, you're creating uneven uh, snowpack, um, and so and people are skiing in. They can you can catch a tip. Like people that are skiing, that oftentimes if you're if somebody comes across something like that, um, you can ski across the skin track. If you cut across, you can get fall in one of those holes. Um, it's you know it just creates a situation that isn't really fun. Like it ruins, it kind of ruins and interferes with the experience of somebody else. And then it forces them to create a second track, um, which is again, one thing we mentioned before, and that's that we want to kind of consolidate, keep our tracks consolidated so that we're preserving the snow for all of the users that are coming out there and trying to experience um, a certain area. Anything well, I think that was great, Greg. And I, I realized that maybe if there's just all veterans on listening, maybe it just made their pain even worse to have to listen again and think about how bad it is. But it did occur to me that we're trying to be inclusive and open and welcome people and educate. So let's make sure we're clear about what we mean and not just be in an in crowd knowing what we mean. No, thank so thank you. you for that. It was well done. And that way, it's important to differentiate a skin track from a boot track, right? And many, many folks entering the backcountry are coming from side country and inbounds. And a boot track is something they have used uh, in their experience and may not understand that a skin track is very different. For sure. Right? Yeah. yeah I mean, like, well, go for it. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad, uh, Mike, you mentioned the uh, you know, sort of inbounds because, uh, you know, many of the things we talk about here really, we're kind of talking about backcountry. Um, but there is um, arguably a fuzzy line between, you know, what's backcountry and what's side country, you know, you have to scare you and, and, and you shoot off. And so a lot of the things about thinking about being safe uh, are things you need to consider uh, as well, uh, you know, depending on, you know, kind of how far off you're, you're shooting in the ski area. Um, or if you're skinning at the ski area, you know, it's really important to respect their uphill policies. Most ski areas don't allow dogs at all in their uphill policies. Some do maybe, some don't. So it's important to pay attention to those uphill policies when it comes to dogs and things like that. And um, so I, I just wanted to mention that there's, you know, there's some overlap here. For sure. Well, and I, I mean, and we personally don't, we, we wish we could get rid of the term side country um, altogether, mm -hmm. just because it kind of insinuates that there's some, there's additional safety protocols beyond backcountry skiing. And the reality is like, as soon as you exit the, the boundaries, like you're on your own, you know what I mean? Like your, your proximity, you might be closer proximity in proximity to, you know, a, a patrolled area, but patrol doesn't have, they're not coming for you. They're not going to, they're not coming, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be sweeping that area to make sure that you're safe. Like you need to be just as prepared if you're going to be skiing out of bounds at a resort as you would if you were entering, heading into the backcountry um, away from a resort. Um, and that's something that, and I feel like that term side country came around like a long time ago and it just creates this like false sense of security and a lot of people. It's a, it's a fuzzy, it's a fuzzy yeah, term that you sure. need to be, uh, you need to be smart and you need to be thinking. Um, yeah. Some of these areas that are on the, you know, edge are maintained gladed terrain that are on the map and they are, uh, you know, swept terrain, but you also need to understand that then you go beyond that. You're not going to get swept uh, you may, you, you won't, especially if you're alone, you may, you may never get found or not in time if you get in trouble. So yeah, I, I think it's important to highlight the fact that um, I, you always need to, to keep your, uh, keep your smarts. For sure. Keep thinking. Definitely. Anybody else? Skin track, skin track etiquette. I think we've covered yeah. 
I've got I've got another one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go. <laughs> if you're if you're setting a new skin track, and I, I just see this repeatedly, when that skin track goes right through the fall line of of you know the, the good spot, if you will, uh, there's it's not necessary to do that all the time. Um, and some people love it, especially if it's steeper terrain, because you come over a knoll and you're carrying a head of steam, you've got a blanket of untouched powder in front of you. And then all of a sudden there's somebody right there and they, they can't move and you're moving at them fast. Um, so try to be aware if, if, you know, you've been in that zone, let's, let's not set a skin track up the best line. Uh, I think we touched on a little bit earlier, but off to the side, not where the best snow is. Um, yeah, for sure. I think like, like you're saying, like consideration for, for different types of traffic, like as you're moving uphill, like try and avoid where, you know, the bulk of the downhill traffic is going to be, you know, stay out of the way, just realize like you're kind of locked in as you're, when, when you set, when somebody sets a skin track, you're kind of establishing the route up that everybody else is going to take. And as you're headed up, like that's, everybody's kind of locked into that route. And so you want to make sure that that kind of like that traffic corridor is separated from the downhill traffic as much as possible. And doesn't, and if it does, if it does have to interact with the downhill traffic, you know, the flow of downhill traffic, it should do so in a way where like sight lines are as long as possible so that people can adjust accordingly. Um, so, yeah. And that, that's kind of that, um, sort of the, the art and the science of laying a skin track. Totally. Yeah. 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 We could, I feel like we could spend an hour yeah. about how to set an appropriate skin track. Um, <laughs> At least. But just generally knowing like, yeah, like there's certain things that, and hopefully if you're a new skier, you're not there, there'll be somebody else. There'll be a skin track to follow at a lot of places for you. And if you're at any of our managed zones, there's a, there's a signed skin track. So you don't even have to make a decision. You don't have to make a decision. You just follow the, follow the places. Um, so let's see. So skin track etiquette. What about parking? Let's get back into parking because again, that's one of our, our 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 biggest concerns this year. And is there any kind of like parking lot etiquette or um, parking etiquette? I mean, I think we touched on most of it. Like park tight, um, take some extra time just to make sure there's space for other people. Uh, I liked your tip of like bringing a shovel um, and making sure just the idea that like something might happen, you might get plowed in. There's a variety of reasons you might need that shovel, but at the same time, you could you know just leave it better than you found it. Um, and that'll help improve somebody else's day. Um, if if you yeah. can block somebody in that's your friend that you're there with, okay, that may not be the worst thing, um, but don't block other people in. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> seems like, <laughs> it seems like something that should just be, should be known, but yeah, you're right. It's like, I don't know, somebody might show up and be like, I'm going to be in and out, no big deal. And who knows? Well, and think about, you know, there's the, like the survivor bias, um, you see the first person that parked and then three people after that and the way a parking lot can change over the day, um, whether it's snowing, whatever's happening, try to consider what that parking lot, all right, you're the third person there. Think about what that parking lot's going to look like at 1130 AM when there's, when it's full or about to be over full when, when you're parking so that other people can park considerately around you without blocking you in. Or if you are there with, you know, your touring partner and you can park too close to each other to save room for other people, consider doing that, but don't park right up on somebody's passenger side door, give them room to get in and out. Um, especially because you don't know what they're coming out of the woods with. Somebody could have an emergency um, and they could be trying to get to a hospital. Uh, don't, 
you know, block people in because you were unhappy with how they parked. These, I've seen these things happen. Um, and it's like, that's, that's not a good way to go about it. Nice. Anything else on the, on the parking front? I think we touched on most of it, I think. Uh, how about, how about music in the backcountry? Uh, is there, is there any place for, um, something other than headphones <laughs> when you're back? Reggae. Singing? It's gotta be reggae. <laughs> <laughs> reggae is fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I have found myself probably on both sides of that, you know, um, <laughs> usually often I actually find myself not using anything just personally. I just kind of like to just be out there. Um, but, uh, earbuds, but I, I, I have found myself before, Oh, I forgot my earbuds. And so I just fire up my Spotify on my phone, assuming I have service and I'm just like, kind of, you know, got it dangling or whatever. And I'm alone and, but then, you know, I might run into people and I'm, yeah, sort of realizing not everyone necessarily might appreciate my reggae. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, you know, it's that, it's that consideration, right, for somebody else's experience. And so you're welcome to have whatever experience you want as long as you're not affecting uh, negatively affecting or affect, you know, you don't, and it's hard to know if you're negatively affecting. Maybe someone, like you said, maybe if it's reggae, you're, you'd be psyched to have somebody come up the trail playing reggae and like that would be a positive thing for you. But at the same time, like you just don't know. And so anything you do that would affect, that could affect somebody else's experience, you should try to avoid. And music's one of those things that it seems like, you know, popular as things get more popular and more people are out there, there's always somebody out there that has their Bluetooth speaker and they're blasting something and they, you know, and it's just, it's not necessarily good or bad, but you're just, you're affecting somebody else's experience. And, you know, they make headphones and earbuds. And if you really want uh, to have that, if you need that music to keep you jazzed up and get your flow going, great. But like, again, they have headphones, they make earbuds and like, you should really kind of keep it to yourself. Um, other thoughts on music? All right. Uh, what about social media? Um, I feel like, um, what is the, what's the etiquette around like taking a picture and sharing it and, you know, put, would you share the location? What, what's, what's up with this in the backcountry, in the backcountry world? I, I wouldn't see an issue with sharing the location, uh, unless you're trying to hide your secret spot <laughs> or, uh, you know, uh, especially on public land. I mean, I think growing the community is important. Um, and I think social media is a great way to do that. Um, so, you know, showing people that you're having a good time out there and maybe letting them know, hey, there's this great managed area here. This is where I'm touring today um, is a great thing. You know, it, it really helps uh, build the community. And, you know, maybe it's not showing any, anybody anything new, but people are like, oh, my God, that looks great. Like, I was just there last week and it was terrible. Like, I'll have to go back. And, you know, it, it's a conversation point. Um, so I, I think social media is a, a great thing to kind of help grow that community of backcountry skiers um, but it can be uh, some people could take it a little excessive sometimes and I think uh, not posting uh, pictures of, of people who you haven't asked to or <laughs> um, you know you see somebody absolutely ripping down the mountain and you see a photo of them you don't even know them and, and post it to say like hey look 
look where I'm at, look what's going on. That would, I, I think that would be crossing the line and be a little inconsiderate. But if it's just yourself, I mean, yeah, it's public land. Anybody, you know, as long as you're on public land, that is, um, anybody could be there. You know, if you want to share your location um, and, and let everybody know your, your great secret powder stash, uh, great, more power to you. Now, so I feel like there, I feel like there's a distinction between managed zones and unmanaged areas. There's definitely, um, and I don't know if any does anybody want to weigh in on that. Steve, yeah. it seems like you had something. Oh. No, Steve can go ahead. I've talked plenty. <laughs> oh well, you know, I, I I don't disagree. I think if it's public land, you know, I guess it comes down to a matter of opinion. You know. Um, <clears throat> How, you know, is this a, a positive uh, thing that you're doing out in nature, uh, whether it's you're hiking or you're biking, you're on public land, you're, it's our land and, and you're, you're doing it respectfully and safely, safely and um, you're, you're sharing your joy uh, that you're having. Um, if you want to, you know, also share the location and the geocode location with everyone, well, I guess that's your choice. Um, I think you're right about the sensitivity on, on you know private lands a different matter um and so i think that that's an area of con potential concern there um so could i ask why i guess i don't get the distinction i would start by saying i think it's all if it's good it's good if you're i think it's important to understand the reflection of the community and on the sport uh as andrew said so i'd say as long as it's appropriate like content, you're not like respectful of others, as Andrew said, and then, but as long as you're there appropriately, whether it's public land or private land with permission, say on private land, why, what's the distinction? I, I think I must've missed something. Can you help me with that, Steve? Yeah, what? well, I, I guess, I guess it, you know, in Vermont, um, unless land is posted, uh, it's available for folks to go on, right? Well, that's my understanding of of, uh, of the law in Vermont, right? Unless it's unless it's posted, of course, you know, it should you shouldn't flaunt that. But um, you know, there there are large tracts of private land um, that aren't uh, posted and may have opportunities. But it doesn't necessarily mean that landowner wants a, you know a beacon that's right uh, flashing awesome stash here you right. know everybody come so i think so, that would be the distinction thank you that's is, helpful and and yeah. that, that fits in my point which is that if it's appropriate use you should and you are appropriately sharing it with the world and showing how great this is it's all positive as you said so it's really about it's not whether the the ownership it's whether you're you're making appropriate use of that ownership if you're there and you know the landowner is good with you shining the beacon great i don't think there's anything wrong with that uh, especially if you're promoting and as an ambassador of our sport. But if if you're not supposed to be there, you're right. It's a distinction that you probably ought to pay attention to. And maybe have a conversation with yourself about social media or not. What are you doing? And is this okay? Right. If you have reason right. to think you shouldn't be there, or someone wouldn't want you being there. That's that's problematic for the long term, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I think there's yeah. some nuance within there um, because you may be on good terms with the landowner right. and you could bring a friend and the landowner doesn't have any problem with that. Right. And the friend has 3000 social media followers <laughs> and the friend posts, you know, uh, a pretty specific 
yeah. um, geotag. It doesn't even need to be a geotag. Maybe, maybe they post there because social media isn't just Instagram or Facebook. It's Strava. It's other things. And now yeah. all of a sudden there's this indelible mark that's showing somebody specifically where to go for this limited quantity resource on somebody's land that maybe, you know, somehow um, you were tangentially invited to. And now anybody can go on there that's got Strava, Strava Premium, download the GPX track, email it to their 10,000 friends. And the next weekend, there's 3,000 people there. I'm overinflating this a little bit, but this is exactly what can and does happen, especially if something like that gets posted on a, you know, a backcountry touring Facebook group that's got 20,000 people in it. Um, and then all of a sudden you've got other issues and all sorts of other things start closing down. So I think there's, you know, some, some etiquette in there and, um, Vermont backcountry has long had a show don't tell type of philosophy behind it, especially on private property. Um, and I think it's important to be in tune with what that local community feels about different zones. And just because you're aware of it doesn't mean that you have the authority to make everyone aware of it. And some people don't even know that they put it on their Strava that anybody can go and download that GPX and email it to anybody. So mm -hmm. um, once it's out there, it's out there. And be aware and cognizant of that and what that could mean for you know your friendship. Maybe you don't get invited on any more tours um, or whatever it may be. You know, that's worst case situation, but uh, I, I like to be a little bit vague about something at times. Well, I'm really glad I asked because I think that's really helpful and to understand those nuances of the distinction. And uh, again, I, I think, but I'm, I'm good. I think it's still, if it's good, it's good. And, and, uh, yeah. and that includes being respectful to these other dimensions. And I, I, that's great. That's really helpful, I think, and sage advice. For sure. I mean, I think, you know, again, like if it's uh, like any of the managed zones that now exist in Vermont, like those are perfectly, those places, like take pictures, share away, you know, you know, run Strava, GPS the crap out of it. Like that's, those are, those are adequate places. I think I would agree that it gets a little bit murkier when you start talking about unmanaged public uh, locations, because yes, I, I feel like, yes, it's an, like skiing is an approved activity on these areas, but when, when, a, when an, a certain area sees a lot of traffic, there tends to be, that, that tends to create an incentive for activities that aren't legal to happen on those public lands, like cutting and thinning and other vegetation management uh, problems. And like part of the reason we, you know, for having backcountry zones, like managed backcountry zones in Vermont, is kind of like focus some of this energy um, and kind of trying to minimize the amount of illegal cutting and illegal vegetation management that is happening out there. Um, but I think that you definitely need to take that into consideration. Like if you are skiing or are you, you're touring in an area that isn't an official zone, like managed zone, it might be a high use area already, um, but you should be, I think it's, I think you need to think twice about whether or not, like what you're sharing, like share, take a photo, share that photo, but like sharing that location, sharing the GPS location of that, like, again, like Eric was alluding to, like, it's really easy and people are out there like looking for this information. They're scouring Instagram for cool photos from whatever, like whether you're out West or whether you're here in the Northeast and they're trying to find like, where, like, where is that? And they're going to go through and they're going to try and find out where that location is. And 
And, so, and it, 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 again, like you're saying, it, it, it would be nice if it was, if it was an approved use, it should just be good to go. But I feel like at a certain point in time, like if concentrated use leads to activity that's not legal, and we need to be concerned about how, if we're sharing certain information, will that eventually lead to, you know, things that we don't want to happen. Um, and that's yeah. a true. And that's really a glad, Greg, that I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go. You can go. <laughs> well, I just I, I'm really glad that I didn't have to be. I thought I'd be the one who has to mention illegal cutting as a public land manager. Uh, so thank you, you for too. bringing it up. And if, <laughs> if you don't mind, if we, we come back or stick with the social media, if we haven't finished there, I, I do want to mention this. I think I have to uh, as probably my choice for my biggest faux pas is the idea of cutting vegetation. Uh, without authority, especially vegetation that's not yours, which includes public lands. Um, it's, I know there's a long history of it. Um, and, um, uh, and many of the lines we ski now and accept and, um, and I know there's a sense of, well, it's just me and, and it, no one, this is remote, no one's going to see it and it doesn't really matter. And I guess I'd just really like to ask folks to think twice about this. It's not okay. It's actually a crime. It used to not be a crime. It's a criminal offense now. And, um, and more importantly to me is nothing less than the future of our ability for expanded public lands access is in the balance. And uh, we got to get this right. My point would be not to be the Debbie Downer, but to say, if you found a great place on FPR lands, and I'll speak to our lands, that you think makes sense and is great, and um, come talk to us. We have a long history of accommodating requests for zones, um, routes, trails, and I, for one, as commissioner, uh, as a backcountry skiing commissioner and forester, I want to see more of this, and it's a battle. Not everybody does, folks, and it's not helping to have. I'm a big backcountry hunter, and part of the reason I'm not that good at it is I'm either thinking silviculture or ski lines when I'm out there instead of looking for deer. And uh, I find these things, and I'm not the only one, and um, they're not cool. And as much as I want to ski them, it breaks my heart because it's not helping. And I know there's so much terrain and it's just me in this area, but it's a tragedy of the commons and uh, kind of thing. And it hasn't really bitten any of us yet. And I'm just saying it's going to, and it's a, it's to me, it's the single biggest threat to expanded access on public lands. We got to yeah. get it together. You got an idea, you have a place, come talk to us. Let's work mm -hmm. something out. It's not a rubber stamp, but I, for one, am super into helping find ways to expand access and it's gotta be done appropriately. And this is a, I guess I'll just say it again. It's just, a, it's a threat. And I, Andrew, for service, I'm, I'm, I mean, am I wrong? No, I'm, I'm right there with you, Mike. Uh, that's my biggest pet peeve as well um, with any, you know, backcountry skiing or really any backcountry activity because we don't see it just with skiing, but we see cutting for all kinds of activity. Um, but skiing is definitely a big one, people glading um, in areas that they think would be a fantastic ski area, yeah. and it might be, and, uh, you know, we're more than happy to work with local clubs and organizations. Um, usually, if it's just an individual, it makes things a little harder, yeah. um, so I would say the, the, the best way, if somebody is interested in developing an area or getting involved with doing some, some glading or trail clearing is to seek out your local, uh, you know, ski club chapter, your CTA chapter, 
Um, just get involved with the clubs because we are more than willing to work with clubs. But when we see illegal cutting out there, it makes things so much more difficult um, and challenging to make anything happen. Um, you know, we really don't like to um, adopt illegal networks. So when we find these illegal networks, um, it, it makes it pretty difficult to do anything with that in the future. Where if that was brought to us as a proposed project through a local club, we'd be much more willing to work with that club to make it happen. This is one of the great strengths. I'm glad you mentioned the group effort and the club base, that this sort of community supported skiing kind of thing popping up across the region is the answer. It really is. It's the way forward and uh, agencies like ours I think need those partnerships. Everything we've done, whether it's the Catamount Trail Association, Green Mountain Club, Vimba, um, Vast, it's, it's through the partnerships and the group togetherness uh, and keeping it together. That's how we make it work. So I would underscore that as well. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, I also bring up, uh, I know Eric mentioned uh, Strava. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, a lot of illegal trail networks get posted on Strava. So that's something to be, uh, uh, you know, something to recognize if you are out there uh, recreating. If you're going off of tracks on Strava, you might be skiing on an illegal trail network. Um, you know, unless it's it's official and it's on a Forest Service map or, you know, a state map or something along those lines, um, it might not be legitimate. For sure. Well, I think that, you know, the work we've done over the last, you know, five, six, seven years, like working with both the U.S. Forest Service and, you know, FPR on developing pathways for, you know, bringing Glade projects to life, like that's, you know, these pathways exist now, like, you know, maybe 10 years they didn't, right. but they do now. And so like, there is a path forward. And I think like, that's the thing, like, if you don't have a local chapter for you to kind of reach out to you to kind of like engage and like bring a project to fruition, like that's where new chapters come from. You know, you get it, get, get organized, reach out to the CTA, and we're going to help you kind of like through that with that process. We'll help you with that, the proposal. We'll connect you with the right people, you know, and we'll move, we'll move this in a way that's as likely to happen as possible. You know, like you said, it's not a rubber stamp, but there's a process. And if you go through the right channels, there's a, a high likelihood that um, of success, a higher likelihood of success for sure. And frankly, I'd really, thank you, Greg. That's, and, and thanks to the, the CTA for providing that backbone and, and making it happen. Um, you know, I'd like to think that um, I'm not at this forever and uh, this particular role, I'm proud of what we've done. I wanna institutionalize it as much as we can so that it sticks and lasts. And that's again, where the community helps make that possible to get it right now so that it'll, it'll last. And this will just be institutionalized and part of how we roll. I like to remind people that the forest parks and recreation, it was sort of born out of skiing and forestry. And, uh, and so that's our roots. And it's so cool to be getting back to the backcountry roots and skiing on public lands. And I'm really excited about it. And this is the only issue that's just this burr under the saddle or um, a broken binding, I guess you could say on a long tour. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think the, uh, the CTA model of chapters is the most likely to be successful long-term. Um, you know, I, I think it provides a mechanism and an organizational framework it allows for collaboration, you know, between the trail, in this case, you know, Catamount Trail in Vermont and the chapters working with, with state and federal partners. Um, you know, so I, I think it's a good model. I think we're at a particular point right now that's uh, some, especially challenging because the growth rate and demand is, is really sort of increased sort of tremendously. 
and the availability of sort of managed zones is arguably limited relative to the demand. And so, um, you know, until until the framework is in place and the process is in place to um, maybe further facilitate the the ability to kind of um, get more managed terrain kind of rolled out in a in a smart sustainable manner. Um, I think we're going to continue to need to message on this and certainly after as well. Um, this is always going to be a challenge of folks uh, illegally cutting, whether it be public or private land. Um, but I, I think um, by building more uh, networks, more parking, um, we can mitigate it. Um, I think that's this is, is going to be a, a I mean, we've seen tremendous growth in this sort of pandemic, but I, I don't think the growth rate prior to this was still high, it was high, and it's going to be high after it. So it, I think it represents a, a lot of challenges, but a ton of opportunities um, for Vermont in terms of the uh, recreation and the recreation economy. Greg. And, the, and that, that success um, in turn kind of comes back in to support the growth of this. There's, it's a better time than ever before to do this the right way through these, you know, a community approach um, because the connections to local economies and wellness, just the increasing awareness, uh, the spotlight, frankly, that's been put on the, the, the power and goodness of outdoor recreation, including backcountry skiing. So it's the time is right to, to capitalize on that goodwill and not screw it all up, um, you know, with inappropriate um, behaviors, I guess. So th that's the positive side, really, is that we have a great chance to, to really enhance and, and lock this in for the long term and build more uh, on it. For sure. Eric, you were gonna say something? Yeah, um, for <clears throat> those people in parts of the state that don't have uh, a local chapter under the CTA, how can they try to get something going? Uh, well, they can get in touch with us and, you know, we'll get, we'll work with them to get in touch with the landowner, identify, you know, if they have a specific area in, in mind, um, we'll just need to kind of like loop in the land manager and like, you know, start working through it, you know, look at, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that pieces that need to fall into place for a zone to be opened up, um, you know, different, different era pieces of forest are managed differently. Um, and we have to, there's a lot of considerations that need to be kind of like taken into account before we can move forward. But you know, that's why we're here. Um, we're here, like if there are groups together, um, we're here to kind of work with those groups and those um, to kind of like and partner and, and like usher them through this process. Um, and so it really depends, you know, one of the most important, one of the important components is like for a chapter is like that long-term maintenance. Um, you know, we need, we need a community. If, if, there, if a zone's going to be kind of like, if a new zone's going to come online, we need somebody to take care of it. Um, and so like with the Catamount Trail, we have trail stewards that take care of individual pieces of the trail. Uh, with the current zones that we have, we have chapters that are responsible for that, the maintenance. And there are guidelines for, depending on whether it's US Forest Service land or state land or private land, you know, we do have guidelines for how those areas are managed. Um, and so we need to, and the, and the, the chapter is kind of responsible for implementing those, um, those guidelines. And so there, there is a process and it, it kind of, it's kind of case by case, depending on where it is and what considerations need to be taken into account. But um, that's exactly why, you know, why our chapter program exists. You know, we, we would love to see more zones come online across the state so that more people have access to this type of 
um, this type of activity, and this type of experience. And, it, and I just, I will let people, I should let people know it doesn't happen overnight, you know what I mean? It is a process. Um, and so, you know, but if you don't, if we never start the process, it's never gonna happen. So um, yeah, uh, more zones would be great. We would love to see uh, more organized backcountry groups come together. Like that's, you know, that's, that's our future for sure. Great. Well, I think, I wonder, is there anything outstanding, any other etiquette items that we might've missed that you guys are, that are hanging out there that we should mention? Um, what about, what about what happens when, if you're, if you come across somebody that's obviously unprepared uh, to be out there, what, what is our, what is your responsibility? Anybody want to take this one? Uh, well, I think I like the ski nice and be nice. So that, start with that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, be prepared to provide whatever assistance you can. And maybe that underscores even more the value of being prepared yourself, because if you're prepared yourself, you're going to be more prepared to, you know, help somebody else who might be in need. Um, so you have that repair kit, maybe they're having a gear issue, they don't have a repair kit, maybe you can help them. And you've thought ahead and you've brought your mask so you can safely put your mask on so that you can help them. Um, and so I, I think um, it, it's important to be, um, have the mindset that uh, something may not happen with you, but uh, something could certainly happen with somebody else in your group or someone else in another group where you may need to you know, provide assistance. Anybody else have thoughts on this? <clears throat> I mean, I, I feel like we're all part of the same community, right? And so if you come across somebody that's having a rough day, whether because of unpreparedness or a stroke of bad luck, you know, I definitely feel like it's, our, it's, it's kind of our responsibility to take care of each other and whatever that means. Like you said, like lending them some gear, you know, helping them out, maybe cutting your day short to, to, to go get help. Um, we know how hard it is it can be to kind of communicate with outside help in the backcountry, and so um, I think that we're we're one community. Um, we're in this together, and we need to look out for each other, whatever that means. Like, um, you can't. We can't just like we can't we can't separate ourselves from somebody. We can't be like, oh, they're unprepared. They're on their own. I think that's a, a bad way to approach this. I think we need to be we need to be willing and ready to take care of each other. Amen. Yeah, I it, just like if you're going out on a hike, you know, and maybe you've got a, a light with you, you're going to look at stars on the top of a mountain. Um, and you see somebody else that doesn't look like maybe they're going to look at stars on the top of the mountain, they're just going for a hike. And you just kind of check with them. Um, hey, do you, do you have a light with you? If you see somebody leaving the trailhead, um, you know, at 3.30pm, and they seem like they might be a little bit out of place, just check in with them, uh, maybe get them thinking a little bit along the same lines that you are. Don't, don't judge them hard, uh, be polite, but maybe try to instill some curiosity. Ask them if they just seem lost, uh, check in with people, see if they're lost. I've definitely stumbled across people that have been walking in circles for quite some time. Um, and sometimes you just need to reorientate them. And, and push them in the right way and they're good. Other times it's like, hey, I'm happy to show you the way out. Let's, let's walk this way. 
And sure. sometimes people in that situation are too embarrassed to admit that uh, something went wrong or they're underprepared or they don't know where they are. And really just that, that uh, you know, act of, of kindness, just checking in saying, hey, you okay? Like, you know where you are? <laughs> um, that might spark them to actually admit like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, I actually am a little bit lost. But some people out there might have uh, have have too too big of a pride to uh, you know be the first person to approach a stranger on the trail, especially you know during these crazy uh, pandemic times, and uh, ask like, "Hey, do you know where I am?" Yeah, and I've seen some people once, if you, especially if you're alone, um, your mind starts to play tricks on you, and it all, sometimes just even that human interaction kind of snaps them out of it. And then they're like, oh, I, I stumbled across a guy that had a GPS in his hand. And he was like, I, I can't get out of here. And it was like, well, do you just need some help? And he's like, oh yeah, I just need to go this way. And uh, you know, it, it gets strange out there. <laughs> For sure. And I think again, this just underscores that idea of like, you know, don't let the pandemic give you a reason to kind of like disengage when you're out there. Like, Say not, say hi and be kind to everybody out there. You just you just don't know what like a, a friendly wave or a hello can can mean to somebody. And so, yeah. um, or just, just the, you good? You see somebody kind of stalled or you know you good? You, you good? Need anything? Just it's a it's a great call, Greg. And I really like that you keep coming back to that. That just uh, don't let it get in the way. Uh, be human and Steve's ski nice. It's it'll take you far. For sure. And what goes around comes around, right? You know, but for whatever, it could be any of us. It's happened to me. I've had, I've had a, a, a skin problem and a dude came and totally fixed it and with, with his kit and, uh, <laughs> you know, and it, and it, 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 someone said it cut his day short, but he helped me. And so, and we probably can all tell a story of similar. For sure. I showed up without poles one day and somebody <laughs> leaving, somebody, Mark, Mark from, uh, from, Outdoor gear exchange was just leaving and he gave me his poles. And so, uh, save my day. Than, it's better than uh, when you show up to the parking lot without your ski boots. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. That's yeah. A tough with one. your friend, with your friends there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, there's a, there's an etiquette point right there. Like bring your ski boots. <laughs> like show, but again, be prepared. Right. So, all right, guys, I think we're getting to the end of our list. Uh, unless there's anything else. Um, we have any, any other points anybody wants to make? Uh, seems like you guys all feel pretty quiet. Uh, I do want to take one last moment to mention the Catamount Trail Association. This is hosted by the Catamount Trail Association. Uh, we are a membership and donor supported organization. So I would encourage you to kind of visit our site at catamounttrail.org and check out what we're doing. Uh, we do, we, we, we wear a lot of hats here. And if you like what we're doing, consider becoming a member. Um, if you're near one of our chapters, uh, affiliate with the chapter, uh, that helps your membership money goes directly to support those chapters when you affiliate, um, and consider making a donation because it allows us to continue doing the work that we're doing here in Vermont. So, all right. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Thank you for putting this together, Greg. Uh, this is, uh, definitely a good way to kick off the season. It's just starting to shape up out there. Right. Uh, appreciate everything the Catamount Trail Association does. Thanks, Andrew. For sure. Yeah, thank thanks. you guys. Thanks Thank all. Great, Great to be part of it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Snow. All right. We are no longer live. <laughs>